0: you'd open your Bibles to Matthew 13, and as you're turning there, I, I looked up some statistics. Uh, all forms of cardiovascular disease remain remained the number one cause for deaths in America. In fact, cardiovascular diseases um, claim more lives each year than all forms of cancer combined. Between 2015 and 2018, 126.9 million adults had some form of cardiovascular disease. In 2019, coronary heart disease, which is a form of CVD, was the leading cause of death uh, among all of the cardiovascular diseases, comprising 41.3% of all cardiovascular, which includes strokes and things like that. So cardiovascular disease, the leading cause of death in America, and of those, cardiovascular heart disease, cardio heart disease was the leading cause of death among those. Approximately every 40 seconds, someone in the United States will have a heart attack. There's no doubt about it. We have a lot of problems with our heart. And um, Jesus, in fact, recognized this too. In fact, Jesus frequently addressed the heart and all of its uh, associated problems. So we're going to look this morning at a a, a spiritual EKG. We're going to take a spiritual EKG, if you will, uh, in the form of a parable. And uh, I would, again, if you're at Matthew 13, we begin in verse 1. That same day Jesus went out by the house and sat by the lake. Other seed fell among thorns which grew up and choked the plants Still other seed fell on good soil where it produced a crop A hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown Whoever has ears, let him hear And if you'd skip down to verse 18 Listen then to what the parable of the sower means When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it The evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in their heart But the seed falling on good soil refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. And this is the one who produces a crop yielding 160 or 30 times what was sown. Um, this 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 genre is what we call a parable. A parable is not an allegory. Uh, a parable is simply uh, think of it this way. This how I like to describe it. It's. It's an earthly story that's employed to illustrate and teach spiritual truths. An earthly story that's employed to, to convey or to teach spiritual truths. And what's interesting is in most of the parables in the New Testament that Jesus uh, taught, he rarely gave interpretation of those parables. This is one of the few where he actually interprets this parable for he originally for his disciples, but he in fact interpreted it for us. Now, while you're in Matthew 13, take your ribbon or marker and turn to Luke chapter 8 because we're going to be going back and forth. Luke's account in Luke chapter 8, beginning in verse 11, is a parallel passage of the parable of the good sword and provides us some some really interesting um, additional information. So, the question is, what is the seed? If you, Again, if while you're at Luke eight eleven, uh, this is the meaning of the parable. The seed is the word of God. Very unusual that, that Jesus is this explicit in, in explaining his parable. So we know that the seed in these parables represent the word of God. And what, in fact, does the soil represent? Well, if you look at Matthew 13, verse 19, When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in the heart. So the soils represent hearts or the heart. The seed is the word of God. The soil is a person's heart. Now, before we go any further, we have to define heart because the biblical concept of heart was very different than our our current culture's definition of heart. Our, our culture when we say the heart it's a metaphor for what okay. emotions feelings um, but for the Hebrew especially the Hebrew feelings they, they use the word for kidneys because that's where you, that's where you feel you know ladies remember when you first met us that <laughs> feeling you, you got that right in the kidney, right in the kidney. <laughs> that upper colon just got so yeah affected. Um, no, the, the heart is different. The biblical definition of heart is not typically or primarily emotions or feelings. Um, in fact, it is more of understanding. Again, look at verse 15. Uh, Jesus is quoting from the prophecy of Isaiah. We'll start in 14. In them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah You will be ever hearing, but never understanding. You'll be ever seeing, but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become calloused. For they hardly hear with their ears, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, and understand with their hearts. So so biblical heart is, is really the seat of motives, of understanding, of desires, of thoughts. It's not primarily feelings and emotions we understand that with their heart is what he said now the context of chapter 13 really begins in chapter 12 verse 1 Um, chapter 12 verse 1 at the time when at that time jesus went through the grain fields on the sabbath and his disciples were hungry and they began to pick some heads of grain and eat them when the pharisees saw this underline that when the pharisees saw this they said to him look Your disciples are doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath. So we have these Pharisees who are accusing him of uh, breaking the law. Look at verse 9 of chapter 12. Going on from that place, he went into the synagogue, and a man with a shriveled hand was there. And looking for a reason to bring charges against Jesus, they, they, the Pharisees, asked him, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? They were being passive-aggressive. They they weren't asking for information. They were were trying to accuse him of, of, of breaking the Sabbath. Look at 24, or I'm sorry, 22. When they brought him a demon-possessed man who was blind and mute, Jesus healed him so he could both talk and see. And all the people were astonished and said, could this be the son of David? In the midst of this beautiful, wonderful miracle, but when the Pharisees heard this, they said, it is only by Beelzebub, the prince of demons, that this fellow drives out demons. In verse 38 of chapter 12, then some of the Pharisees and teachers of the law said to him, teacher, we want to see a sign from you. They're testing him and... So 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 really, Matthew 13 is given in the context of of um, resistance and unbelief on the part, particularly of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. And in fact, back in chapter 13, beginning in verse 14, he quotes Isaiah six, nine through 10. And if you were to go back and look at Isaiah six, nine through 10, this was judgment. Once again, we see Jesus, in essence, proclaiming judgment upon unbelief and their resistance to him. He in fact, he says, "Isaiah rightly prophesied against you, because you resisted and you didn't believe, A hearing and understanding will now be taken from you. That's the context of 13. Jesus is explaining the jewish unbelief and and in fact explaining reception of the gospel so let's 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 look at jesus spiritual ekg he talks about four different kinds of hearts again if you look beginning verse 18 he said listen then to what the parable of the sower means when anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in their heart, this is the seed sown along the path. This is what I call the compacted heart. This is the hard-hearted. Now, when I say hard-hearted, I don't mean necessarily hostile, but it could be. It could be that it certainly would include that, but it could be anyone who they're just ambivalent about the gospel, about the word of God. When We talk about the word of the kingdom, the word of the God used synonymously that Jesus used in Luke eight, Matthew thirteen. They're just ambivalent at best and resistant. Unreceptive could be hard um, in, in terms of their resistance, in terms of their response, but not necessarily hostile. It, it could and does include those who are just not interested. Their heart is hard. It's compacted. And in fact, Jesus says that the, the enemy, the evil one, snatches away the seed. That's the first heart is what I call the compacted heart. It's hard. Uh, look with me at verse 20. The seed falling on rocky ground. So now he's gone away from the path on rocky ground, refers to someone who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. This is what I'm calling the cosmetic heart. Um, This is a heart that is shallow-hearted. So if we look at a spiritual EKG, they're not a compacted heart, they're a cosmetic heart. They have a thin veneer. They are shallow, they are superficial. Um, This probably would be along the lines of uh, they gave all of outward appearances of being a believer and being part of the body. And yet, really, he says when trouble or persecution comes because of the word they fall away and this word is we get scandalizo it means they stumble and they fall away so we have the compacted heart Jesus says that's the hard hearted they hear the word and, and because the enemy comes and snatches it away they're resistant they're ambivalent and um, that's the compacted heart. They're hard hearted. The cosmetic heart hears it and responds with joy, but they have no solid root and commitment to the word. They are shallow hearted. Each really is a form of hard heartedness. One, the hard the hardness is seen, and the second when the hardness is just below the surface. So both of them really technically would be considered a hard heart in a sense. One is readily uh, observable The other is not It is only observable when In fact there is persecution or trouble Because of the word They quickly fall away The shallow hearted Number three Verse 22 The seed falling among the thorns So we have the seed that fell on the path seed that fell on rocky ground now we have since uh, the, the seed falling among the weeds among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word making it unfruitful again the choked heart this is the choked heart this is the half-hearted He says there are two things, Matthew records Jesus saying two things that choke out the fruitfulness of the Word in their life, and the first one is what? The worries of this life. Now, what construction is that? What grammatical construction of that? It's a genitive. What does it mean, the worries of this life? What are the options? The options is that it can be a subjective genitive. Is it the worries that the world has? That's what's one option of a genitive, a subjective genitive. Or is it the worries that the world produces? Probably the worries that the world produces. The kinds of worries that the world produces in our life. And what some of those worries are there? We can name probably hundreds. But what are some of the worries that this world produces in our lives? Audience participation. Government. Go- government. Yeah. Worries of this world, status, importance, what? Finances? Finances? Absolutely. Um, all, all different, just all the worries that we face in this world. Am I going to get sick? We're going to die in a car accident. Worries of this world choke the fruitfulness of the word, but not just worries of this world, but what's the second thing he says? The deceitfulness of wealth. Now, again, what does that mean? Is it the deceitfulness? Is it, is it the wealth that is produced by deceitfulness? Or is it this deceitfulness produced by wealth? Probably that one. So these are both probably objective genitives. The, 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 the deceitfulness, that the, the inherent deception of wealth. Now, it, it begs the question, in what sense does wealth deceive us? Well, I think in, in one way, it is a false promise of happiness. There, there was, uh, you know, you, most of you know I love stand-up comics. and I, I think it was Dimitri. Dimitri who was it, Dimitri? Dimitri? Dimitri Martin. I think he said, or I can't remember who it was. What was it? Daniel Tosh. Doesn't matter. I'm just having an OCD moment. So just, um, he said, money can't buy you happiness but it can buy you a wave runner. Have you ever seen anybody unhappy on a wave runner? The deceit, part of the, One of the deceptions of wealth is that it can bring happiness to us. And if that were the case, then the, the United States up until a year ago um, should have been the happiest country on earth. In fact, just the opposite. But I think, I think another deception of wealth is that it deceives us into thinking that wealth will will secure and leverage our future. That if I have a healthy 401K or pension and and I've got a big savings account, that somehow I'm protected, that the future is now secure and protected. Uh, Turn, if you would, to Luke chapter 12. I think Jesus told another parable Illustrating this deception. someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, verse 13. Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. And Jesus replied, man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? And he said to them, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in the abundance of possessions because it's, it's deception. And he told him this parable, the ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. So He's thinking of the present. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. Verse 19. Now he's talking, thinking about the future. And he'll say, I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink and be married. He, he, he saw his his wealth as as a leveraging and a securing of his future, God said to him, you fool. This very night, your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you prepared for yourselves? This will be. How, this is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich towards God. Now, please don't read this as saying that God is against growth and, and, and financial growth and growing your business and, and and getting raises and getting promotions and making more money. He's not against wealth. But he's against wealth when, like this fool, saw it as something that was leveraging his future. And that's a deception. Both of happiness, a promise of happiness, and the deception of saying that somehow my wealth secures my future. This is, in fact, a choked heart, a heart that has been choked out and has become unfruitful because of the deception of wealth and the worries of this world. Back to Matthew 13, verse 23. But the seed falling on good soil refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. And this is the one who produces a crop yielding a hundred. 60, or 30 times what was sown. How many of you would be interested in making an investment where you would get 30, 60, or 100-fold return? Um, well, I have some prayer cloths up here. If you want. <laughs> this is the cultivated heart. This is the wholehearted person. They're receptive, they're responsive, and they're reproductive. In fact, he ends this parable talking about not just... Fruit And not just growth But exponential growth 30, 60, 100 times Talking about the growth of the kingdom And in fact the rest of the the, the chapter uh, Matthew chapter 13 He's talking about the nature and the growth of the kingdom In terms of exponential growth The cultivated heart Now again this fruit There's many different manifestations Of this kind of this fruitfulness This crop if you will Fruitfulness in who we are and our spiritual growth, but what we do, how we live our lives. So we have the compacted heart, we have the cosmetic heart, we have the choked heart, and we have the cultivated heart. Again, Jesus giving us a very valuable insight into responses to him and to his word. Remember, the context is really rejection. And unresponsiveness, and he's explaining this. So let's 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 deal with application now. The first question I ask myself is: are, do these soils, or which of these soils, represent believers, and which of them represent unbelievers, or or can we know? Let's look at soil number one. What was soil number one? The hard-hearted. When the when the message about the kingdom, the word of God. Is sown. They don't understand. The evil one comes and come snatches away the sown in their heart. This is where Luke eight is extremely invaluable. Look at eight, Luke chapter eight, verse twelve. Those along the path are the ones who hear, and then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts, so that they may not believe and be saved. So soil number one probably represents, most definitely represents unbelievers. What about soil number two? What was soil number two again? The cosmetic heart. They received the word with joy, but when trouble or persecution arises because of the word, they what? Fall away. Um, turn if you were to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. I looked I just did a brief word study on fall away here. Second Corinthians chapter twelve, verse eight. Paul is talking about his thorn in the flesh. He said, three times I pleaded with the Lord to, and my translation says, take it away. Remove it completely from me. What do some of your other translations say there? What? Depart. Leave. Anybody else? Anybody have leave? Would leave me. Depart from me. Take it away. Um, and of course, 1 Timothy 4.1, you don't have to turn there, but you remember that. The Spirit clearly says that in later times, some will abandon the faith, following deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. This word, abandon, fall away, leave the faith. So soil number two, because of this, 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 this uh, mention of fall away and how it's used elsewhere, well, number one is definitely not a believer. I would say these are probably unbelievers. So, soil number two probably or represents probably represents unbelievers. What about soil number three? What was soil number three? The choked heart. And what was the choked heart? They hear, they receive it, but the worries of this life, the deceitfulness, choking it, making it what unfruitful. It's it's unlikely that. Jesus would use this kind of language when referring to an unbeliever. Uh, we wouldn't expect we wouldn't expect a believer to be an unbeliever to be fruitful. So I would put soil number three as probably a believer. So one is definitely not a believer. Two is probably an unbeliever. Three is probably a believer. That classic passage in 2 Peter one four through eight. He's talking to add to your faith wisdom and conscience so that you will not be unproductive or unfruitful fruitfulness and unfruitfulness typically is language that the Bible uses for Christians so again one seems like definitely an unbeliever two is probably an unbeliever because this, this notion of falling away leaving to party. Three is probably a believer not for certain but probably a believer because he's referring to unfruitfulness you wouldn't expect and probably talk about a believer that way, and obviously number four is definitely yes, definitely a believer I mean John fifteen talking about bearing fruit, so I think Jesus is saying that that there are various conditions of people 's hearts where you have some people who are obviously they 're open and responsive and they, and they get it and, and, and the light comes on and they are fruitful and they are productive others are hard-hearted. There's no response. Either they're hostile or they're ambivalent. You have some where you really don't know. They, they, they both received it with joy. But on the one hand, those who, because of worries and problems in this world, they fall away, they stumble, they depart. And the others, probably believers, they, they just become unfruitful and unproductive in their Christian life. That's number one. Believers or unbelievers. Mixed. But I want to talk about a couple of things, though, that I think are maybe even more important. I want you to notice what this parable does not tell us. This parable does not indicate what percentage of each soil there is in the world. Now, there's no indication that the vast majority of people are in soil one. Do you see my point? Maybe the soil represented by soil number one is the vast minority of soils, of hearts, conditions of hearts that we see in our world. We automatically assume that, uh, that the vast majority of people have hard hearts. Now maybe our, we take it from a personal application to a more global application, I, I, I get the sense that Aurora, by and large, is for some reason, I just, it's hard-hearted. There's not re- re- much reception, at least with my neighbors, people I've known. But that doesn't mean that it's like that everywhere. Go to Tanzania. It's good. I mean, it's, it's phenomenal soil, spiritually. And I guess in many places, literal soil. But there's no indication here. We can't automatically assume any percentages. He's just simply saying he's, given a, he's giving a, some, some understanding of why what we see in terms of responses to the gospel, why we see them as the condition of the soils. There's no indication of percentage. Number three, there's no indication that these soil conditions are permanent. There's nothing that says that a a person could be a soil number one at one point in their life and become soil number four at another part of their life. At one point of their life, they're hard, they're resistant, they're unresponsive. And then maybe because of things that happen in their lives that God uses and God calls them and God changes their heart, that now they become soil number four. Again, there's no indication of the percentage of what these soils represent in our lives, in our communities, or in our world. But number two, there's no indication that these these soil conditions are permanent. In other words, we ought not become defeatist or discouraged that um, we don't know. Number four, and this leads into that, we don't know, nor can we know, the condition of a person's heart. What did you notice about, by the way, we, we, we left out an important part of this whole parable, and that was the, starts with S, rhymes with ower, the sower. Did you get a sense that the sower just sowed haphazardly and indiscriminately? I mean, seeds flying all over the place, seeds flying on the ground, on the path, along the path. he's throwing it. He, the, 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 he's throwing it in weeds and thorns. He's just very uh, wasteful sower. I think I think that indicates we, we don't know what a, the condition of a person's heart. Um, it used to drive me crazy when I hear of churches, they would have target groups that they would, they would want a target for the gospel, and usually it was cherry hills. You know, hear my Lord, send me. No, but it, it, it's interesting to me the, the, um, the exorbitant offering of the word of God, that, that this sower is just sowing the seed. Oh, it just wastefully and indiscriminately. But ultimately, we, 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 we don't know. We are just to, supposed to do what? Spread the word. Sow the word. Number five, finally. Many times it has nothing to do with the soil. What's the problem? No one's sowing the seed. The the, the, the implication, again, here is that there is a sower. And that the seed is being sown. Um, I thought it was instructive. If, you, if 1 Corinthians chapter 3, Paul is talking to the church of Corinth. 1 Corinthians 3, verse 9, this is in the midst of their sectarianism. They, they were Some were following Paul. Some were following Peter. Some were following uh, Apollos. And, and they, they, they were, there were these divisions in the church. In fact, he said, uh, there is jealousy and quarreling among you. you are not, You're not worldly. Are you not acting like mere humans? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not mere human beings? Well, what, after all, is Apollos. And what is Paul? Verse 5. Only servants through whom you came to believe, as the Lord has assigned to each his task. I planted the seed. Which really is a, a is really con- continuous from Matthew 13. Planting the seed. He said, I planted the seed. Apollos watered it. But God has been making it grow. You see, we... Humanly, we either plant or we water, but we, we don't know the condition of the soil, nor can we affect the condition of the soil. That's God's work. God is watering it. God is the one who brings growth. The one who plants, the one who waters, have one purpose, and they will each be rewarded according to their own labor. So the question is, so what? Where's Seth? So What? Remember 2 Timothy two, preach the word. The seed is the word of God. Preach the word. That's what we sow. So I think what Jesus is indicating for us is a couple things. Um, the response to the gospel is dependent on two things, really. Number one, it's dependent on a sower who will sow the seed and who will sow the seed liberally and indiscriminately and exorbitantly to all kinds of soils. That is what's necessary or the response to the gospel is dependent upon us sowing the seed. Not anticipating their heart. Not, as we say, we, like I'm in sales. In sales, you don't pre-qualify someone. We pre-qualify say, nah, He'll never, he, he, he's not interested. Oh, well, we're making a judgment that they, are, that they are hard-hearted. We don't know that. The response to the gospel is dependent on two things. It's, it's, it's dependent on someone, a sower, who is willing to exorbitantly, even wastefully, if you will, uh, sow the seed. Number two, that, by the way, that we have control over. The second one we don't have control over. And that is the condition of the soil at the time of sowing. We don't know. We can't know. But it's not for us to know. That's not our job. Um, and understand that you may have people in your life right now, whether it's a relative, a friend, who you would say if you did a spiritual, if you did a heart scan of them, they would have hard hearts. It's not permanent. It need not be permanent. There's nothing in our text that says it's permanent. That we continue to sow seed knowing that God can change the condition and soil of the heart. I planted, Apollos watered, but God is the one who brought growth. Response to the gospel is dependent upon a sower who will sow the seed. Number two, the condition of the soil at the time of sowing. One we have control over, the other we trust the Lord. Let's pray. Father, Father, um, I suppose we could add to this the effectiveness of the seed that seeds can grow in a lot of different conditions and uh, Lord we know I'm I'm sure we all know um, a lot of people who have compacted hearts right now Father that should not or ought not prevent us from sowing seed because we don't know how that will change or when that will change. And Father, that uh, we would be faithful sowers of your word. Lord, we, we do pray for those in our lives who don't know you. Father, would you till and break up that hard soil that you would make them receptive and enable them to receive and to hear and to understand and respond to the gospel. Father, we thank you that your love and your grace is so abundant that you can save even the hardest of hearts. Um, and you can, make that, you can make that soil good soil, receptive soil. So we trust you. Father, I pray that any, any and every opportunity we have to sow seed, that we would be faithful. We thank you and pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.